welcome to Conversations About Life. Thanks, Ken, for being a guest on my podcast. Absolutely. We were just talking about flying, and you're a, a pilot, and uh, you were just ta- talking about about the, um, I guess there's that, you know, the physics of how aircraft stays up. When I was young, that was all taught to me like it was a really concrete and uh, a solid science. But then when I got older, I've heard people talk like it's a little controversial just how an aircraft does stay up. Um, like it it might not be like a, just the most solid uh, physics. There might not be just the, the explanation you would think. Is that true or is it pretty like you can figure out this is why it happens and so forth? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I'm pretty sure we can, we can figure out those details. I mean, there is, there is a science to it. Um, when, when you're looking at lift, I mean, it, it tends to come down to a number of things, but the, the three that come to mind, one is wing design, like how, how, how what's the, um, I forget the term for it, but the, the, basically the shape of the wing and even the length of the wing, you're going to have some differences when you're in a glider versus a, another plane. Uh, certainly angle of attack and uh, airspeed, those are what you're taught as a pilot that keep you afloat. And then the other factors that matter is, you know, where's the arm of the center, well, essentially the center of gravity on the plane matters, uh, which usually has an impact of angle of attack. But I think what we were sharing just before we hit record is that, like, while you can figure out the, the science behind it, um, sometimes it doesn't matter. You're in the plane, and, and it doesn't happen all the time, but occasionally you'll have this moment where you just, you just feel like you're floating in the sky. You're, floating in a, you're in a chair floating in the sky. And while uh, intellectually you can reason about it, in that moment, it doesn't matter. There's just that feeling that is uh, it's just a great, it's an interesting feeling. You know, I don't tend to get that feeling when I'm on a commercial flight for some reason. I just don't. But in a smaller plane in particular, when I am um, have my mind wandering while I'm in the plane by myself, definitely happens multiple times, uh, usually on a long flight. And you're um, also a scuba diver. And, I am. And am you I? said this, you got to... It's a similar type of feeling, you said, when you're scuba diving. Oh, said, right? yeah, yeah. So um, I got my dive master maybe a few years ago, and um, my dad was a course director or a, um, uh, in the PADI program. That's like the second highest you could be. So you're a master instructor and then a course director. It's, so I've been diving since I was 12, but then what we were relating to was uh, some... I don't even know how we got to that point, but uh, the similarities that, uh, of be, being a pilot uh, especially when you're in the plane by yourself or, or scuba diving, there's it's almost like this meditative state you get into. I love scuba diving, actually, in part for that reason. Um, that you can't talk, you know, what, whatever noise is going on around you, it, it just it, it, it doesn't exist. Like you can hear things, but you're hearing maybe the gurgling of a regulator <laughs> or you know, sometimes the clanging of you know, a ladder against a boat or. Um, but generally speaking, those things aren't present. Usually it's just you in your own head uh, for a moment, mm-hmm. staring at whatever it is. It could be a reef for 30 minutes or a fish for 30 minutes, just 
being there and being present, like fully present. I really enjoy that state. So, Yeah, I hear people refer to it, kind of like being in the zone um, where time just kind of disappears. And I've heard people refer to the, a particular movie about um, the, this animated um, a musician. Uh, I forget, he like he dies, but he comes back. But anyway, mm-hmm. you know, as an um, illustration of... Um, you know, being in the zone or so forth. Sure. Have you, and you've heard that the term, the zone and so forth, right? I have. Uh, I actually probably have heard the concept of flow more than being okay. in the zone, but I've heard, it, it, I hear being in the zone more as a sport oriented thing. Um, okay. Having the concept of being in flow, which I forget the Japanese authors or scientists name that, that, that articulated this. That's unfortunate because I'd rather give attributions where it's due. But, you know, being in flow is losing complete track of time because you are so mentally engaged. And usually that engagement requires a couple of things, but one of those is uh, deep attention on a subject. And usually it's something that's not boring, so it's a little bit more challenging. There is this need to achieve something, Mm -hmm. and you could just totally get lost. And that's also a great feeling. Um, for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think, is there anything I do where I'm, I get into that? And I don't know, nothing regularly that I can think of. Um, is there anything besides scuba diving and, and, uh, flying an airplane that, uh, gives you that same type of experience? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm one to like a lot of different things. So I do a lot of different things. I don't, I didn't actually, when I, I've never actually thought of myself as different. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I look around and there's a difference. So I don't, I don't know where that came from. I don't know what the drivers for that were. But, um, but yeah, uh, I started maybe a year ago, maybe a year and a month ago, started doing, a, there's a, a one-wheel skateboard called One Wheel. <laughs> uh, actually, for, uh, for a gift, I, mean, I don't remember the time frame of the gift, but my wife bought a unicycle, like a motorcycle unicycle. I don't know if that makes sense. A it's, motor, it's, with a motor on it? It's, 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 a, it's an electric motor, but okay. it's, it's um, and I thought that's what I wanted. Like you're you're basically standing on one wheel, a unicycle, but the, and it goes it can go really fast, and I I just never felt it wasn't about I enjoyed the challenge of trying to ride it right, uh, trying to achieve this, uh, but I never felt safe or comfortable on it, largely because if you you're on if you imagine yourself on a unicycle, you look back behind you to see if the car is coming because you're on the road. And you're going to turn. That's the whole, you know. And so there was no way to identify whether you're in a safe zone and still participate in this activity. So I, in some ways, it was very distracting. It wasn't, it, it wasn't right for me, and I, I gave that up and sold that. But got a one-wheel, and a one-wheel is basically a skateboard with one wheel. Uh, but I have the freedom of being able to look completely behind me. I have... I can I can view my whole proximity uh, and feel comfortable and safe. But I also used to be a skater when I was a kid. So, and then there's this extra challenge of being balanced on one wheel, right? Which again, it's also electric. But the, it, I'm trying to get to the point of answering your question. Um, 
I like to get on high speed. Uh, one wheeling to me is a lot like snowboarding, where you don't need snow and you don't need a mountain. Uh, so I'm kind of grooving through either streets or roads or trails or whatever. And this thing can go about 20 miles an hour. Uh, I've had it at 26 is the max speed that I've had it at, but not a goal, by the way. <laughs> it can be slightly dangerous to be standing on a board with one wheel at 20 plus miles an hour. But, uh, but when you're in, when you're on that device and you're going at a high speed, anything above 15 miles an hour, uh, you have to be hyper-focused, like what's coming, what's next, is there a pothole, is there a thing in the way, like anything could throw you from this device, and that can create that exact feeling you're, that, that we started out talking about, like mm-hmm. there, you're in a moment, you're, you are hyper-focused on just this, there, nothing else is a distraction, everything else, in fact, you can completely lose track of time and things that need to happen there is just now and there's just this moment and that's how i kind of describe the the scuba diving as well it's like for a moment in time you're you're not you're worried you have to be a little bit concerned with how much air you have left you have to be a little bit concerned with your dive times but when you know you're on a reef that's at 30 feet you could stay there for a couple hours and you don't the likelihood of you running out of air or having a problem with compression is just less or non-existent almost and that's the same feeling you have when you're one-wheeling or when you're you know for me years ago racquetballing or flying like there's that lost in time just kind of that experience of uh less noise right less noise in the head because it's there's just this moment Mm -hmm. it's really great right and those examples they're a little bit exotic in that they're not like an everyday thing too Mm. um so that might have perhaps something you know a part of the experience perhaps maybe yeah i it's an interesting observation uh i do one wheel now in this in good weather i one wheel probably most days so there there is a little bit of yeah trying to find it or or being in it Um, right yeah but Hmm. yeah so um um so, like, uh, there's. Uh, have you ever read the book Ecclesiastes in the Bible? Oh yeah, I've read uh, cover to cover the Bible? scriptures. Okay, so, so um, I guess somewhere along this, I was kind been of a while though. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about how, um, you know, sometimes we're trying to reach a destination, um, and uh, thinking it's going to give us something and yeah. we're going to gain something, yeah. and then. Um, and really, and then we get there, and the whole, the whole pleasure of the whole thing was just mm-hmm. the path there. Yeah. Um, and um, I guess it sounds a little bit like um, I don't know, like the like being um, busy, being having our minds engaged, adds something to life, perhaps, rather than just trying to get at whatever we're trying to get to or, or something along those lines. Um, I don't know if that was connecting to what you got, you were just talking about a whole lot. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually, I enjoyed the, the, the conversation in that regard. I, it's, so I had multiple thoughts happening at the same time when you were, were relating that. Um, mm-hmm. One is uh, it's taken me years to realize that. Like uh, my older, I think my younger self would have thought, 
the destination is the thing. Like, uh, I, in fact, I can very distinctly remember when, when I needed to go on vacation, or I was not needed, that's the wrong word, but when I was going on vacation, uh, there was a, a need, a push, a drive to get there, to start it, to be at vacation. And uh, my wife at the time uh, sometimes would be challenged by this because I'm like militant, go, 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 let's get there, get ready, let's, let's be there. And then years later, I realized the vacation starts whenever you want to start it and it, it, and, then, and it matters how you approach it. And then there's a really good book. I think it's called The Happiness Project. Uh, really, really well written. Really good stuff. Uh, she, she related in the book. Uh, the premise of the book is that she was writing about uh, choosing happiness or how to be happy. Um, uh, techniques of being happy. Uh, that she would add in. Uh, a skill or an activity maybe each day. I, I, it's been a while since I've read it, but that, that's the core concept. And at one point she realized and then related in, the, in, in writing that uh, when you go on something like a vacation, there's different stages of the vacation. Uh, there's like you're, you, you just talking about going on it is you having that experience. Mm-hmm. And then you traveling to it is having that experience and then you being there is having the experience and then relating to it afterward like it's all part of the whole the whole thing it's not the vacation isn't it's mm-hmm. not delineated by i started on saturday and i came back home on sunday uh meaning with a full week in there uh, right. it is it is all these experiences that you can and then looking can, at the pictures afterwards. And then looking at the pictures afterward, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that helped me a lot with understanding. And then I, I do a lot of reading, um, so there's a lot of science behind this as well that helped help to drive some of these concepts uh, and, into understanding the, the details. Humans generally are not great at understanding what makes them happy, let's say, right? right. So, so uh, it's very common to give an example for someone to choose to want to watch a show. So they're going to sit down, they're going to watch a show. They think that's going to bring them enjoyment or relaxation or um, they're, they're choosing it for a reason that was positive. But what ends up happening is, and again, we have good science behind this and we could quote references if we wanted to, but um, what ends up happening usually is, you know, you, you're, you're still sitting there, the show is over, and then you... If there's a transition immediately into well, the next show is after these commercials, and you're you're you're, in, you're enticed to stay there based on hey, you know, next up is blah blah blah, and, and so, but what ends up happening is we tend to realize that uh, we we tend to shame ourselves. Uh, you know, the it, the experience is such that you get done, you're like, hey, I just sat down for three hours of my evening. And this wasn't, I, I did not get the enjoyment I thought I would get out of it. At the end, I'm not happier. I'm just, in fact, I'm somewhat depressed or sad that I just wasted three hours. I really chose into a half-hour show or an hour show or whatever it is. Yeah. So after seeing, reading, uh, understanding a lot of this uh, material, um, I, tr- I tend to live my life, of course I watch some shows, but I, I tend to be a little cautious about imagining what brings me happiness and realizing that uh, being in the moment after an event, understanding whether I really got enjoyment out of it or not, and then choosing it less if I didn't. 
So I don't tend to sit on a, a couch and, and, and do, I tend to be a very active person, but it's just because that's how I enjoy life. I think we can maybe confuse um, like what gives us some kind of sensation or spark for pleasure. Like, mm. um, like scrolling through Facebook, it sparks something in us. There's like definitely a dopamine the, hit. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. this... The, um, and or like a show, it just there's something interesting about it. But if we just um, stop and are conscious, like, am I enjoying pleasure right now? Yep. That could be a different thing, um, as far as just satisfaction, sure. pleasure, and you know, happiness. Well, this is another area where I, I, so I have been for years a software developer, software engineer, and uh, I, I'm f- somewhat familiar with say. Um, uh, I can't remember the title of the show, but there's been a lot of write-ups on how the algorithms that of like YouTube and, and Facebook capture your attention. And by the way, so, like a lot, like notice so much about how much we've been talking about our attention <laughs> and where that is, right? But they, they want to captivate it, uh, and they know that that the best way to capture someone's attention usually is through negative uh, context. Mm-hmm. So, like when you get you get that feeling of I have to respond I got to fix this they're wrong you know that mm-hmm. that all of that feeling uh, goes into the algorithms and it, they know that that captures your attention the, you know like it's an interesting thing I, I I am susceptible to it just like anyone else you flip through you you get a like somebody liked your post there is a feeling that comes with that you're like oh look at like I got a hundred people that liked what I did right there can be a feeling with that. But at the same time, you could also step back and look at it and go, wait a minute. All Literally, I am swiping my finger on glass. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm, I am literally just looking at glass. That's all I'm doing. And... And the rest of it is a story. The rest of it is, a story. The, the it is, is a story, uh, like, yeah. it's in our head. We, we created... That dopamine hit. We created a response to what we're seeing, but if you look at the activity itself, it's really so dissatisfying. You're literally just flipping through channels or swiping the screen. Or um, now I know that's a weird way of looking at it, but there's a number of frames uh, that we could look at the same experience and go, "What are what are you doing? Like, could you imagine an alien coming down and going, what?" What are they doing? <laughs> right. It is a foreign experience, a little bit, but it's become right. so normalized. So, what is satisfying to you? Like, what's just deeply satisfying? Hmm. Well, that's a pretty serious and tough question. Uh, I, you know, for me, I think new and interesting, or maybe exotic, was the word you used. Uh, experiences. I enjoy that. If I were to. So, so as an example, if I were to go on vacation, um, an ideal vacation for me wouldn't be sitting on the beach for a week. That would, that would be like horrible. Um, I would enjoy a day of that or a half a day of that, so don't, don't mm-hmm. misread that. I likely would be jumping onto the ocean and swimming or maybe even body surfing or whatever, whatever is present. But um, I, would, I would rather go and see new and interesting things or... Um, I also really enjoy seeing others happy, if that makes sense. So, like my wife or son, you know, kids or, or my stepson, uh, seeing their happiness or trying to be a part of seeing them happy actually brings me a lot of happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. serving others somewhat um, fills that need. I, I think there's a, 
a variety of ways of answering that question, and that's actually probably good. It's it's good that it's not one thing. It's actually a, a number of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Sometimes, though, I, I, I love to read, and sometimes just being on my own and listening to an audio book or uh, reading a book itself, uh, these are things that, that are very satisfying as well. Yeah. It's, it's taken me a while to be able to do this, but I tend to like to write notes in my books if I have a physical book. Yeah. Um, I tend to, like, my, the change that's happened through my life is if I started a book, I had to finish it. But um, as I've gotten older, I'm like, well, this book has no interest. I mean, I've, there's no point. Mm-hmm. And if I see that a quarter way through, I'll just drop it. I don't, I don't feel obligated anymore. Yeah. On the flip side, if I hear an audiobook, which I will commonly do, because if I'm flying a plane or I'm doing something where I can't physically read but I could listen, uh, I could be so engaged in the book where I'm like, I have to read this. So, uh, which, which the, the different modalities of learning or the mo- different modes of, of, of consum- consumption of material or content, to me it's very different. Like I'm very deeply thinking while I'm physically reading as opposed to listening. Um, and I, for certain subjects, I find that to be a benefit, especially things that have a lot of graphs, of course, but uh, the book that Ray Dalio just had out on, on, on different empires was the rise and fall of different empires was fascinating, but there were a constant reference to graphs, and I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see them. <laughs> so I gotta be able to understand a little bit more than I currently do. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you've read, you've read the Bible cover to cover? I have, yeah. Okay. So what's your... What's your thoughts? Like, are you religious yourself? or You know, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know why I feel compelled to, like, share the whole story, but uh, I, I would say not if I were just to give a direct answer. I would also say maybe I'm spiritual, not religious, if that also makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I grew up with Eastern, Christ, uh, Eastern Christmas uh, parents, right? right. Uh, my grandmother was deeply Catholic, and that was important to her. So when I moved to our family farm, uh, then I, then I was too. <laughs> In fact, I went to Catholic school for a year or maybe less, but I followed that tradition for a while. Um, I've had, I, I married a woman who I thought would be a really good mother. I think that was part in part why I wanted to partner with her, um, and she was deeply, deeply religious. And what ended up happening through our marriage was, you know, a lot of the negative side of religion, uh, hmm. shaming or, hey, we, you know, we didn't live life right, so that's the reason why we're not blessed. And it's just like just all this guilt and shame and just, uh, just stuff that just doesn't work for me. It really turned me off quite a bit um, to how people practice. And... You know, at the end of the day, I think maybe a couple of years, several years ago, I just realized I feel I feel like I really deeply care about people, and I feel like in general I'm I'm a good person, and I don't know if I I don't need somebody to like tell me how to live my life or what is right or wrong. I I feel like I have a good sense of that, and but at the same time. The part that's hard for me is that I've had certain feelings or experiences that are, they're hard to refute or to deny. I don't know where they come from entirely, and I I accept the fact that that has been my experience, and I enjoyed it. 
um, I don't I don't need, for instance, someone to to explain that to me. Uh, in fact, I don't even know how they feel. It feels almost arrogant to to have someone tell you that they know what that is and this is what it is to be the instructor of my feelings, right? Like, so that, and there's lots of things there. Like, uh, I, I, I had somewhat of a, sorry, sure. I had somewhat of a, a challenging relationship where someone was trying to dominate or tell me how I feel. And now I'm, that's one of the areas where I can get triggered a little bit. It's like, you, you actually can't know how I feel. Like I, and I have a lot of words I, that I, I tend to use a more rich vocabulary than I than I commonly hear in others, and so I I, I actually can delineate my feelings a little bit more fine grain uh, than uh, than than what I normally hear people saying, and I don't I like it to be as accurate as possible. I guess I mean if we're going to talk real, let's right. so so that's yeah. that, that's a lot of thoughts there, but I. Um, Having, having had a number of experiences, I don't need someone to say, well, that's the Holy Ghost speaking to you, or this is that, or whatever. I, I just, I'm actually quite happy knowing that um, um, how I live my life, and, and I have good examples in my life. Oh, that said, you know, there's another interesting part of my life, and that is, for some reason, somehow, <laughs> I keep finding myself in the midst of usually deeply religious folks i actually hmm. see mm-hmm. some similarities or commonalities or some relatable elements um, in how they live their life that either i attract into my life or or i'm attracted into theirs i don't know the dynamics entirely but um, i'll also add that i have had a lot of travels in my life world, world worldly travels and i have uh very good close friends that are of many faiths faiths so you know um so i have some muslim friends and jewish friends and um christian lots of christian friends of course i have a ton of atheists and agnostic friends uh and i i really value all of them like i i i i really one of my challenges with religion in general, since you asked the question, is uh, that I, I like to talk about things being um, line drawing or circle drawing. And line drawing is dividing a line, and circle drawing is that of inclusion. So I find that a lot of religions tend to draw lines. They're like, well, you are one of them, and you aren't one of us. And I, I really kind of anti that. I, I don't like that at all. It, 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 it drives me crazy. Uh, I, I like to think of myself as being human, having a human experience with a lot of other humans. That, I, I, And I truly, deeply value all the different opinions that help to form my own identity, my own feelings and thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And the other part of it that's super challenging is we get into religions versus maybe the non-religious, like the atheists and agnostics, I commonly hear on the Christian side, you know, people who are completely willing to, uh, or supportive of capital punishment, uh, we should kill that person. Uh, and I assume, like, let God figure it out or whatever, whatever their reasonings are, right? Or they're of the devil, right? We, again, we like to label things <laughs> as humans. And on my agnostic friends uh, or atheist friends, they, they commonly take the position of, well, there's one trip around. There's one life. We cannot take it. And 
I'm completely bewildered that the religious would be kind of let's kill and the non-religious are very against it. And this just might be my circle of friends, so I don't, I don't see, I don't want to come off as all Christians feel this way and atheists feel that way because that's not true. But commonly, I see that pattern, and it's really, it's really bizarre to me. You know, the the the, the Christian right in general will be, we can't kill babies, so no no abortions, but let's kill the bad people. And it's it's a really confusing message um, in general. Yeah. Um, at the same time. We have a society that we need good rules to... Well, a lot of this is American. Like, we live in America, and we have our way of doing things in America. And for some reason, we're arrogant enough to think that we can't learn from others, and I think that's confusing and frustrating. Uh, I've gone to Norway a number of times, and my Norwegian and Scandinavian friends, when you go to a prison system there, the whole point of that experience is to rehabilitate you. You're broken. You're wrong. We want to re. We want to add you back into society, but you're not healthy yet, and we need to get you there. I love that. Again, it's about being human. It's that human experience. It's the fact that I am just fortunate and lucky to have the brain chemistry, the genetics. Like I, none of these things, I chose. Right? They. They, they were. I, I just was fortunate enough to have this life, uh, and um, again. You know the the penal system in the U.S. seems to be one that's punitive uh, focused, not rehabilitation focused, and so we want to get rid of you. You don't belong with us, and I. It's sad. It, it, it's a really sad position. Uh, I wish we would be more human. Yeah. So, as you were talking, um, I I get the impression from you that you kind of see religion as like a moral guide somewhat um, mm. and um, I've been mm. um, and I, so I'm just kind of interested in what you think about this from your experience reading the Bible I've been um, listening to a podcast called uh, Bible Project mm-hmm. and it's kind of been impressing this thing upon me um, that um, the Bible it's giving us a story mm-hmm. and it's kind of a a repeating story like starting at the and it's a story of things getting set up and it looks like it's going to be paradise mm-hmm. and then the humans in the story blow it so yeah. <laughs> as we commonly do <laughs> so you start off with adam and eve and then yeah, yeah. you know they they're given a command they choose their own way they blow it and then they have kids um one kid kills the other you sure, know yeah. and then um you got you know, and it's just kind of like a repeating story. And then sure. you got the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, man, they're they're going to have God with them. They're going to be God's own special people. They end up um, getting dispersed. You know, foreign armies come in, and mm-hmm. you know because they rebel and so forth. Right. And then um, um, the idea here is like, um, yeah, there's a moral. Um, code or, or or so forth but we just blow it is you know it's just making that it's just emphasizing that um so it's not so much like well yeah it's kind of like this is how you should live but the the bigger point is like and you don't do it <laughs> so it kind of like st- sets the stage for jesus because he comes in mm. and he um and then he uh he is like uh the righteous one you know and then he and mm-hmm. then he just 
we kill them. And um, the, the Bible message, the New Testament writers, their message was, um, he's a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is the way to get past you blowing it. Um, he's, uh, you deserve a punishment. He's a sacrifice so that you can be accepted. And somehow that does something to your heart um, that's different than just giving you a moral code or giving you laws. Mm. It's like mm. there's this softening. Um, it's almost like don't don't covet, and you're gonna that, that might even oh covet. You know, it kind of like oh maybe I'll covet. You know, yeah. <laughs> but rather like um, hey you you've blown it. You're just received freely mm-hmm. because of Jesus, and now it's almost like. Um, I don't even want to covet, you know, it's like, I'm just kind of overcome by this acceptance and stuff. So it's, Mm. so in that way, it seems a little bit like different than um, other religions and moral codes and stuff, which tend to kind of bring the good and the bad down to like something kind of even, for example, but the Bible kind of emphasizes the bad, like, the bad's really bad. Like we, um, and punishment is really bad, and guilt is really bad. But the good is so it's high enough to um, to cover all of that. Mm-hmm. And whereas, if um, you don't have that good, then the bad has to come up there to be. Well, it's not so bad, you know. Mm-hmm. We're we're all we're just human. We're imperfect, and. Um, Sure, there's like really, really bad people, but we're all basically okay, you know. Hmm. Um, but um, anyway, do you get? Have you gotten that impression from the Bible, or um, or what are your thoughts about that? Like, yeah. is that kind of how you, uh, you know, is that how Jesus and the cross and everything fits in, or just you know? Anyway. Yeah. No, I had a number of thoughts while you were sharing that. Uh, I don't. I don't know how people or you will take it as far as my response goes, but, uh, you know, there's so many interpretations. And um, so so the framing that I heard you give, which is what it sounded like to me as a framing, was very a very Christian frame um, yeah, and, 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 and one variation of that Christian frame, uh, which which is beautiful, by the way. I... I uh, and I can relate to it. I understand. I understand where you're coming from when you when you share it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there, the, the the many thoughts that come to mind is there's there's a billion people in China and a billion uh, Muslims in through Indonesia um, that that feel differently um, and have in part the same spiritual experience that you're sharing, but with a different frame, a different story. Um, one could say that they're lost. Of course, they would say that we're lost. <laughs> so there's there's a little bit of of that, right? Like there's there's there that division. But then we get into like, well, the you know, really the well, and you could even get into the fact that the Old Testament is kind of an angry God, and the New Testament is more of a loving God, and and there's different variations just in the in the Christian faith of evolution of of how uh, God or 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 the higher being is represented as a whole. And then each each scripture really is an interpretation of some sort, and then is continuing to be interpreted. So even though it wasn't written originally in English, which is at least in America what we would commonly read from, 
but even in the translation, there is translation. So you've got your Jehovah Witnesses that have a certain uh, bent to their style of interpretation. You've got Baptists that are very... Uh, uh, and then, you know, frankly, we could add in more to that story, which is you have, you know, deep-rooted uh, Protestant pastors who are well-known with megachurches that end up failing us in, in, in many ways where they, they fall. And that you could look at that from a lot of different angles. You could say, well, they're just a man and they fell. It's like, yeah, but if you had received the experience that you just shared of a life-changing event to your heart, mm-hmm. well, that begs the question, like, when, when did that change for them? And, right. And how, how can you right. interpret that? I, I just I do see I do see where you're coming from exactly. And by the way, I should add I, I I have read in fact multiple times the Old and New Testament cover to cover. But I've also read the Quran, I've read the Torah, and I've read the Book of Mormon. Uh, uh, both of all of those for a cover to cover as well. Just I have a deep curiosity in, in trying to understand where people are coming from. But it, it is also very interesting to see so many interpretations. Well, the, the other side of it, too, is I find myself being pretty strongly, in my youth, I was this way, and in my older age. So there's a gap in there where I was more deeply religious to be with my wife at the time. But very science-oriented in my youth, and now I'm back to being very science-oriented. And what we through, see through history is the prosecution of scientists by uh, Christian um, uh, folks that whether it's uh, Galileo who was in prison because you know the the sun doesn't go around the earth the earth goes around the sun and uh, we've, we've constantly uh, had the persecution of knowledge like real understanding of the world because it didn't fit the narrative that is a religious narrative and it, it you know, it, it's not surprising that humans, when they feel under threat, start to do things like prosecute or uh, somehow defend themselves in some way or defend their message. And we've seen it historically through the centuries where that's been true. So th- those are at least some of the thoughts that came to mind when you were asking the question. There's a lot there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to know more about Galileo. Um someone kind of just relate his story to me and it, it didn't seem quite like the typical way I've heard it before. Well, we could, we could flip it. You could, like one is Galileo who I think was doing some good work and then was prosecuted. But flipping it means, well, you could look at Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, who we celebrate as a saint uh, and, and, and for certain cultures and probably a Catholic one, mm-hmm. um, she was a horrible person. Like there were so many horrible things that, she, that are associated with her, but nobody ever wants to talk about that. They, they, you, at, at some point now you're attacking, you know, maybe you the Pope that decreed her a saint or you're attacking a religion or a church or you're, you're attacking. It's like, no, you're, you're just being real about someone's life and whether you want to uh, deify somebody or not is, is your making but, uh, or your choice. But uh, don't – it's, it's weird. Once again, it's weird that your alignment to a certain tribe – will color how you see the world in such a way that you can't be real about things. You can't actually speak the truth, which is completely unfortunate. I, I, I am completely against, uh, for my life, not seeing things as they are. 
Uh, I don't need to imagine. Here's, here's the other side of the coin, right? I, I don't know if we need mythology or, and that could be harsh for certain people to hear. If we don't, we don't need stories to be amazed at life. The fact that the universe is 13.8 billion years old, the fact that it is so large that it's not even comprehensible by most human minds, right. the fact that you exist at this moment and are a part of this is absolutely amazing enough. But that's all a story. That it's, it is, it's a different story, right? I, told, I, I'm, I, I don't... But it is a story. Well, I'm just saying, you know, you say we don't need stories, but that is, that is a story that it's... That old, that we're here, that, yeah, you know, your life is a story. The and difference so is that uh, I, I'm trying to process without defense what you're, sure. what you're suggesting, but there are things that we can, that we know, we increasingly know about the universe and about the, even the galaxy that we're in mm-hmm. that are, you know, in one sense, you could say that it's a story, but it's a story created by um, observation, by like the... Yeah. By, and, like, I, and there's some extension of faith in that too, right? Which I, I would yeah. totally acknowledge. Like the, like there's the, like the whole idea of dark energy and dark matter. At this point, you know, a lot of people misconstrue that they don't fully grok it, but that, and which is fine. But it, it's the fact that we can predict through mathematical models something to be true for which we have no mechanism for measuring. We have no, like, we can't detect it. We just know there are things we can't explain and. That on its own is a measure of faith, right? Like that we accept that. Mm-hmm. Totally agree that that is a 100% faith-based in, in an area where we believe our models to be true, but we can't explain them. That's exactly the story that you're referring to, and that includes well, faith. And I may have misunderstood. Um, I'm, when I met story, I didn't mean like an untrue story. I'm just... because Maybe that's what you meant when you said we don't need a, a story. I thought maybe... You'd, um, I was maybe you were meaning like something untrue, but no, I just I was meaning something that's not observable. Uh, okay. So, like uh, again, uh, we I think reframed my explanation to be a story, but it's based on measurements, on models, on empirical things that we can, empirical empirical right. things that we 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 can have peer reviewed and tested. That's the whole right. art of science, right? right? And the other comes out of a book and comes out of history, some writing that in some ways is not very, it depends again on your experiences. Some would claim that we found, you know, cloth that Christ was buried. You know, there's different things that people, in fact, people look for these things, right? They're like, well, my toast has the image of Mary or the image of Christ or whatever, or this cheese does. And you're like, I don't know why humans need that. It's a weird thing to like, to, to, to say divinity was involved with the creation of this image. Um, but, but that said, there, there's a lot of faith in that direction because you just have to accept the feeling. And I have to expect that your feeling is similar to the feeling that I had. And there's nothing more. It's, it's almost not refutable, right? Like as soon as you go down that path, it's like, well, I am hard and fast aligned to this tribe and to this way of thinking regardless of observation based on the feeling I have or the upbringing or the indoctrination that I have had. Uh, 
and it, and at some point, you know, it, but, but but within that grouping, still, you're going to have folks, Christian folks, who are like, well, the Earth is only six thousand years old. Uh, and then you're like, well, what about the dinosaurs? It's like, well, that was just to test our faith. So there's always this, and I know this about humans, right? Like what we know about humans is they think that they're logical. Even the really smart ones think they're logical, but they're really more emotional. And so once you've emotionally attached to something, whether it's a story or a thing, then the, then the left brain kicks in and the left brain starts to find reasons to justify the right brain. So you make a right brain decision, you switch the left brain from a logical well, here's, you know, the bones are there in order to test our faith. Well, that seems like a very reasonable thing for God to do, especially since you're here to test faith. <laughs> so anyway, a lot of... Yeah, so there's a lot there. Um, one thing is like, when I'm thinking of faith, we might be thinking of two different things. Like I'm yeah. thinking of faith as in, well, trust, like... Um, uh, so something that's involved in relationships and so forth, you know, you you might be thinking of it as in like believing something without reason or something along those lines. Um, and um, and it, as far as like, so there's the, you know, you brought up science. Um, so there, science is great, you know, as like a, a tool for um, going against our biases and st- stuff like that, you know. Um, but, um, and I guess there's other ways of, of having reasons for believing things that are not science, like maybe philosophical things or maybe historical things, um, uh, such, and you mentioned like a bit of cloth and stuff like, you know, and there's like bad history type of things too, but there's like things like legitimate in the field of science whether the believers or not believers, um, they would say, yeah, we can, we believe Caesar Augustus did mm-hmm. this or that, or, you know, we believe this or that, and it's not observable, but there's just, there's different types of evidence, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, um, so this is like maybe just getting off on a, a tangent too, like this, but this made an impression upon me recently because um, the, um, the center of Christianity is Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the, the person I was listening, his name is Mike Lacona and, uh, are you familiar with the name? I'm not. Okay. So he was just talking about like what, um, non, you know, people who are informed in history, whether they're believers or not believe, and they, um, he was saying, well, everyone believes that uh, Jesus was a historical person. Now, there's some outliers who, who may don't, but, you know, for the, for the most that they do. And that um, the, the Romans crucified, they murdered him, they executed him. Mm-hmm. And then um, another thing that they would, be, uh, that b- believing and non-believing uh, historians would believe would be um, that his, um, there were followers of his who, sincerely believed that they saw him alive afterwards so um those who didn't don't are not believers of jesus of course they don't believe he was truly alive afterwards mm. but people generally don't um think of the new testament writers as trying to fool somebody being insincere and so forth 
And then the other one would be that, you know, historians believe that Paul saw a vision of the resurrected Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, um, so those are like some historical um, things, like we all have them, and, um, and then what are you going to do with them? Um, there's, and then that does come down to like a matter of faith, um, because it's like, well, here is a, a presentation through Scripture of like God, and um, is this something I'm going to embrace or not? Mm-hmm. And um, if we are, it's like, well, God's a person, so it's like just me or you. If we were going to trust, you know, where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to place my faith here. I'm going to trust here. But, um, and then some would say, no, um, there, as far as I know, there's no good explanation for those things Mm -hmm. that we all, that informed historians would say, would affirm, but they would say, well, I don't perhaps know what happens, but what happened, but it couldn't have been that, or I don't believe it, or I'm not convinced or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. It couldn't have been that a man really came back to life. Um, so that's kind of how I, I see faith more than just a a set of doctrine. Uh, and it's like, well, we're just going to take the whole thing, you know, without discernment because we're in this tribe or something or, or without reason. Um, but, um, anyway, any thoughts about that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I I hear where you're coming from. I like, I. I guess I'm puzzled by, the, uh, exuberance, of, folks, needing to convince others that that's the way, right? So, um, like for me, I, I for, as an example, I don't. I don't necessarily feel like I'm missing something from my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't... Uh, and I, I don't understand the reason that I have to be a certain way for others. Um, or and, and in some ways, it's flipped. The others feel I need to be a certain way for me, right? Like, I, I need to change my, my view... Um, Who do you feel this from? Like, um, it's a variety of folks. I mean, okay. I, I, you get the, you know, the um, evangelists and such that that. Well, m- most religions seem to want. Uh, there are some exceptions, of course. The Jewish faith is fascinating because in, in the Jewish faith, they don't actually proselyte. They're they're not in a world of trying to convince others. They need to yeah. adopt their worldview. Right. Uh, which I find very fascinating, uh, and yet there are people who will convert to uh, their faith. I have a friend that did; like she was Christian. She converted to Ju- uh, Judaism. She's Jewish. I can't say the word. Um, and I, but there's I, I I wonder I wonder in some part. Let's say that you and, and no part is this true, right? But let's say you uh, wanted me to belong to your faith that you wanted like it, it matters to you so much and you could also be genuinely worried about me and my 
mortality or my immortality, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, And that this is, and I don't get it. I need to see it. Like I need to feel it or whatever, whatever that is. In some ways, I wonder if the person who's proselyting is needing validation. Mm-hmm. They need they you know they they need to add to their tribe, and someone else getting it re uh, it builds a fire in them that they're the ones that feel that you know Ken's going to be in such a better place. Good for him. Now they again these are the words that I would commonly hear in that space. Not not that everybody would feel that way, but I think that's um, probably true. On no, no, no matter what circle you're in, I think you you were right when you're talking about how we tend to look for things to validate our beliefs. Yeah. Now we want to be as open and honest and objective yeah. as we can, and that's kind of the nice thing about science. Only science is limited to a certain realm, realm. of yeah, like the knowledge. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's the human experience to want to validate. So like if we see someone, especially someone prominent like a movie star, like. Um, convert or something you know it can like it can be uh exciting like yeah. but the same thing i think could be like for an atheist like um, um the, a prominent pastor says oh it's all hogwash uh i'm just all into science you know and that could validate th- them so I, I think what you're saying is is just the human experience yeah. Yeah, yeah. and something for us all to be careful of and um and so forth. But yeah, I agree with you. At the end of the day, I love it. I appreciate that we could find some common ground. I, I, at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't, it, whatever belief someone has, you know, fulfill that to, to the extent that you believe it, like be that, you know, I, I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, let's, leave room for for differences let's leave room for everybody to show up in the in their way uh we don't have to be myopic in order to be happy or to be in fact i i absolutely believe that if we didn't have diversity if it were always sunny we wouldn't know the feeling of rain or the pleasure that comes with rain or the blooming of flower like anything myopic is not that interesting after time right uh, and the world and human existence is similar in this way. And if there's a thing that we could, that we could as uh, the human race, uh, gain from, uh, a lot of value from, is more tolerance and more love and compassion for our fellow man. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, that if there is a religion that I have, it's that. Let's let's be more kind and loving. And accepting of people with where they're, with who and where they're at, mm-hmm. and that can really challenge our beliefs. Uh, oftentimes, like if, if you're very anti-gay, for instance, like uh, having a Pride Month or having uh, having allowing marriage outside of a man and a woman can really challenge somebody. But is it really affecting you? Is it, or can we allow from diversity of thought? And at some point, the challenge with that, of course, is there's got to be some limits. Like there are things that we just really wouldn't want to allow in society because it's uh, perverted or, or, or it's, mm-hmm. it's just it, – it, so, so there are limits, right? And, and that's where we're going to have our arguments in all those gray areas where we, yeah. where we can't see eye to eye in some ways. But again, I, I think if we are – as uh, loving and kind to each other as possible that I think we'll find a way, I guess. 
It's my hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, what direction should we go in? Are you um, needing us to wrap up uh, soon? I was getting questions about it, but I'm just responding. I'm, okay. I think we're good. Um, so I... Um, yeah, so, um, man, we just really touched upon so many things just so rapidly. I didn't think... Philosophy we, of life. Yeah, I didn't think we were <laughs> going to get just dive into religion and stuff so much and leaving so many kind of loose ends, but that's, o- that's okay. Um, I have a couple of thoughts, but um, is there any particular direction you want to go in here? Um, no, this has gone a different direction than I was expecting too, but I'm 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 happy. Um Okay. Um so um one thing myopic, that's kinda of interesting word. I guess that means just I'm guessing from the context, it means just like focusing on one thing or being all alike or something like that. Is that what you're yeah, talking? Yeah, some kind of uniformity. Uniformity, okay. Uh, and not that not being satisfying. And 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 which is funny, right? Because when we talked about meditation or about scuba and that, you know, my mind can be so chatty that there's value in having one voice or, or yeah. re, you know, focusing on one thing for a period of time is a very pleasurable thing. Yeah. But it's also, a, uh, there's a limit to that experience. It's not, sure. it's not forever. Right. Having one thing forever would be horrible. <laughs> right. So I, I think that's true, except... Um, and and f- for that reason, like eternal life and the very way that we're experiencing it now, would be bad. I mean, like the, the older I get, the more I'm ready to think at the I'm going to be ready. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I definitely had thoughts on that as well. But um, I think the only exception would be like God, who, by definition, is not like not part of His creation, not part of the universe Mm -hmm. and is eternal someone we would uh, never get to the end of and always growing in our delight of him and exploring and you know so I think that's the only that would be the only thing that doesn't fit the mode of like everything's going to get dry and like dust at some point Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure where to go with that. The, uh, okay. So what's, for you, what's life all about? Well, I think it's changed through time, maybe, but I think we're, where I'm at now, well, you know what, maybe it's always been this way. You know, I was a scout leader for 17 years and a scout master for 10, and I've, so I've seen eight, uh, 12 to 18-year-old boys for a lot of my life, leading them, driving. And the one thing that was fairly consistent is they oftentimes they don't know what they want to do when they grow up. They don't know what they want to go to college for. And so usually the encouragement is, eh, you'll figure it out. Just go to college, get started, which I think is reasonably good advice. But I think the takeaway is that a lot of us don't know what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe it's paradox of choice. There's lots of things we could get into that, that drive that. But the point is, is a lot of us 
really don't know. And I would say in the early stages of my life, I was exactly the opposite, which I don't know how common that is, but I wanted to do everything. I, I, I really did. And I, I didn't realize how lucky I was in my career choice because eventually I became a software engineer. And as a software engineer, one of your focuses is I have to become an expert at whatever it is I'm writing software for. I'm automating something. I have to become an expert. So the first thing, my first consultancy job actually was with Peabody Coal. And, you know, working for coal and in, in that industry. But their biggest problem that I was trying to solve with a, with a team of people is trains, train management. It's all about, you know, how much coal, what's the quality of coal going into this car? How many cars are there? Where's that car going? Uh, it's going to be, you know, stuck on a, a, a train. Uh, so there's going to be a series of cars. And they're all potentially going to go in different directions. And the, you have a thing called contracts and penalties or premiums, which, which is the quality of the coal matters where it's going because there's contracts in place and all this other stuff. So to me, it was fascinating. So I spent a couple of years driving that. Then I went into, uh, well, the most interesting ones that I've been involved with is I was uh, automating a genetics lab. So for five years, I worked with the top PhD, five of the top PhD scientists in the St. Louis area doing gene profiling and genetic research. And I know enough, a ton about RNA, DNA, uh, alleles and uh, vectors and such that, that make up our, our cells and make up everything on the planet, actually. So, and it, it, it's fast. And then at that time, it was fascinating because uh, while the field of software is fast moving, uh, I guess it is, it's hard to keep up sometimes. Science was fast moving. So you had two things at the same time. A lot of uh, software engineers were challenged to be in the space. But I loved it. I'm just like an information sponge. I just loved it. And at the time they had, again, this was years ago, decades ago, but coming out with a new science, the, a science, a field that didn't exist, promonomics, the study of protein folding and things of this nature. So it was absolutely fascinating to me. I, I absolutely love it. Um, so so that's that's... You know, that's a long-winded way to answer your question of what you know. What's my philosophy of life? It it really I could see it in my early stages. I I want to think that I kind of came to this conclusion later in life, and maybe that's not true. But it's all stitching together a bunch of experiences. It 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 is it is that. Um, I I just enjoy the newness of things, the diversity of things, the. Um, the like a, a, another weird example uh years and years ago i worked with a guy and he was this huge and i totally respected him right like the, let me set the set it up the stage right i really respected him. He was super smart and he was totally in the nascar and i was like that is the most ridiculous <laughs> if you want to call it a sport mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous why would you be interested in all, in that at all it could have been wrestling <laughs> it could yeah, right it could have and the, the part that makes me laugh about it when I think about it now is he then proceeded in a, you know, maybe an hour's worth of a conversation going through the most intimate details of the, cha- the technical challenges of racing a NASCAR and how, you, how the tires matter, how a, a millimeter of, of, a, of extra torque you know, matters, a millimeter of threads matter, mm-hmm. all these nuances and how fast the, uh, the crew has to be and the change out and, and how that matters. And he had me captivated. Something mm-hmm. I thought was the dumbest thing to watch, the most, the, the most just like you would never get me to want to watch this. 
And this guy did it, but that, that's because he had, one, he had this passion that was justifiable. It wasn't just irrational passion. It wasn't just, you know, redneck who that's all he knew all his life. Mm-hmm. He deeply could go into certain things that I had no idea. And that's what I begin to see in life. You could take the most simplest of things, the average things, and find amazing things within it, right? Like you could literally just be fascinated at pick something. Uh, like how does a snail cross the, the, uh, uh, this crevasse? Or how does, how, you just pick anything. How do we even get to a butterfly, right? Like you could just study that for a long time and be, for me, fascinated with the nuance and the detail and the, the transformative nature of things. Or mm-hmm. it, life's just so fascinating. And that's, yeah. that's where I get with that kind of question. Is. So I can see how that can be a really neat um, way to maneuver through life, mm-hmm. stitching together experiences, being amazed, delighting in things, you know. And um, some people are, are okay, I think, without, um, seem not to uh, go to like, well, what's it all, I mean, why or what's it all about, though? Um, but... Like, is that something that ever comes to, to mind for you? Like, um, so like, you know, like more of the big um, picture, why, uh, what is life all about? Like, um, mm. the, like we can give answers to like, this is how it's satisfying, how I live it, what's meaningful and stuff like that. But there's still that big, like, but, but why, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, is that um, you know? I used to struggle with that. I, I do hear and sense the question. I, I I kind of feel like we're guiding back into the religious elm of things, like the the justification for life or what what's the value of it, in some ways. Um, I I used to struggle with that. I, I, it's a weird thing to say, perhaps, but I I don't think it's a knowable answer. I don't I don't like it's. I mean, you could choose something based on and choose that that's your faith, right? I I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it, and I'm okay with that. Like, there's a lot of life that it's faith either way, right, to a certain extent. Like, it, it's at the end of the day, uh, it's all, you know, faith. But Meaning n- no certainty, just we're doing the best. Or, is that what you mean by faith? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I hope to be a good human and leave a, a, a good legacy behind uh, and that I've added value. And what comes of me afterwards, I, I, there's lots of people that seem to know and, and profess that and are super adamant. I, I don't know. I, I, I literally don't know. Um, but the, like the, the why would be like, so you want to be a good human and stuff, but... But why? Like, why does that matter? Yeah, yeah, why, that's a why? great philosophical question, and 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 and, and it's because for me, um, yeah, it's it's a good question. I I I think I think there's a number of ways of trying to live life, and I think uh, humans are built to be tribal uh, and built to be society and. As long as you're in a society, there's a certain amount of, of there's the value to society to a certain extent, and 
and you can either be selfish and and choose to ignore the society and, and do things your way, or you could choose to uh, advance our society, if you will. And I, I, for for whatever reason, I, I and I know that's what you're perhaps looking for. The question was directed towards. For whatever reason, I I, I feel compelled to contribute and to be a giver um, and there's a, a really relatively recent book out uh, by Adam Grant on givers and takers Yeah, and I've you know I, when I started working out with the F3 group um, I just came to exercise I, that's all I was interested in I had zero interest in anything else for the most part um, but it was somebody who asked qu- probing questions around experiences of life actually and eventually I gravitated to the concept of givers and takers and then I internalized that and like well how do I want to show up here for this group and I I I want to be a giver so now what drives that that's a great question I don't know that's that's worth thinking more deeply about. I don't think it's going to happen here on the fly, but yeah. in, in the process of thinking, Hey, I want to be a giver. All of a sudden I became, I began to lead the exercise or I began to drive certain, we call them uh, second F, but it's, it's basically socialized or fellowship. That's what it yeah. is. Um, started driving some of those events. And I have, uh, I have great feelings that great experiences that happen in my life because of that and it also shows others how to show up um, and to be a part of something bigger than themselves and I actually uh, I mean just in our conversation you can see I'm all over the map on on a maybe a religious front but uh, the reality is um, there I I love the idea that there's something more than me uh, that there's something bigger than that. That yeah. that there's something to live for or to give to give towards, or to contribute or to participate in. Uh, all those phrases come to mind. That is, it's not about me. <laughs> yeah, it's about pick something, right? It's about the right. human race. It's about the advancement of intelligent life. It's about. Uh, it seems like yeah. So it seems like the the why can move boom you know to the next level to the next level like it's um why why am i here and do why do well well because it helps my group to do well well why would they does it matter if they do well or not well it helps the human race do well well why does it help yeah you know you can get all the way to like yeah the universe yeah but then it goes like why does it matter if the universe exists or not yeah like if it just yeah. vanished yeah or not you know why yeah so it you know, it can. It just kind of no. Those, those, those yeah. I, it can feel or seem nihilistic. I, I and I get that, but I, I commonly have similar thoughts, like all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I will have an event in my life, and I, I, I will think, what will this event mean a thousand years from now? Mm-hmm. And you know, and, but it, and it's easy to think back a thousand years, maybe even two thousand years, right? And go, what were the events that mattered? that we still reflect on today that happened a thousand years ago. And we would think of very little, and it certainly wouldn't be some average guy Mm -hmm. in 
in St. Charles, Missouri. Like it's just, it's just not a thing, which can be somewhat depressing when you're like, well, how, how does my life really matter when, uh, from a legacy standpoint, unless you're a George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln or, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill or may not matter. Um, so, or Genghis Khan, or <laughs> we could go through the list. I mean, there's plenty, right? But, but when you think about, you know, we've got. The last I looked was eight billion. I think we're getting close to nine billion of people mm-hmm. on the planet. That's right now, mm-hmm. but over the but there's been an exponential curve, and over the mm-hmm. over time, you know, over a couple millennia, there's been billions and billions of people, and we know of a handful. And what mm-hmm. does that mean? How does that make you feel? I don't know. It's it's a good question. You know, I, I you know, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you start in your inner circle, and you try to be as good of a person as you think you can be, or whoever you want to show up as. I guess I don't. And then you bring that into a family, and then you bring that into a community. Beyond that. It's really hard to show up unless you're like a national figure of some sort. Um, I think, mm-hmm. I think the greatest reach you have is probably within your community, and um, most don't show up. Most, you know, frankly, and so there's a big opportunity to show up and 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 to add value if people are willing to. What I find though, in general, which is super hard, is that people aren't in a position to understand enough to to be. To be in a position to to um, to understand the subject enough, I guess. So I uh, I've commonly, based on my career, uh, been in in interesting positions of awareness or knowledge that is not ubiquitous. And but then you begin to see how it's perverted, if that makes sense. So, for instance, I started out my adult life as a nuclear reactor operator in the Navy. So as an hmm. RO. Well, if you get into nuclear science, what you'll see is you'll have people picketing in New York. This was in the late 80s, who would say, how would you like to have a reactor in your backyard that could go supercritical at any time? Well, scary words. And the reality is, in order to start up a reactor, it has to go supercritical. So you're leveraging a word that may sound scary, but you've, you've truly perverted it. But now you, in some ways, are educating people in a misinformed way. And as I mentioned earlier, I've been five years uh, automating a genetics research lab. Well, there's things that we can do in the lab that would take you 14 years to do in the fields. And you would do them in the fields, but we can do it in the lab for in two weeks. Like there's just, and it has to do with, you know, the selection of genetic uh, variations in what we call phenotype, like the essentially outcomes of that of that plant. What you know, is it a big ear of corn? Is it a small ear of corn? That's the phenotypical elements mm-hmm. of 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 that plant. Well, there's nothing scary about that. We've been doing that for centuries. Like that, that's that's actually a good thing. But the point is, is that we will have GMO or non-GMO or or scary labeling on things that because society is not well informed in this space. Uh, we've intermixed crazy ideas with not crazy ideas all in one big grouping, likely to just simplify the problem, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is you know, a good portion of our genetics research is actually super powerful, very good things. And I don't even know if we could feed the planet in the size that it is without 
genetics mm, right. research, frankly. Mm -hmm. But there are some Frankenstein-like things that we have done and continue to do, where you're knocking out what they call a vector of, of, a, of a genome and, and filling it in with other genetics that would make things like uh, Bullguard or uh, Roundup Ready corn, where you know normally you'd spray Roundup and it would kill everything green, but you, it, it all has to do with genetics. So if you replace the thing that would cause a problem in the, in the plant, well, then you can spray it all day long and the plant lives. But well, I don't know if we know too well how that affects the human body, <laughs> right? So, so there's like these balances of life. But my main point is that, you know, society as a whole, um, they don't always know, they don't, the experience is that they, they don't seem to always choose what's in their best interest. Mm -hmm. And I, I get puzzled by this quite often. And also we are challenged by questions and concerns, some of the examples I brought up, whether it's nuclear or, or, or genetics, where it's so complicated that it doesn't feel like people are either interested in deeply learning and understanding, but yet they still have an opinion on it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that opinion almost always is driven off of advertisements or off of, you know, education. I don't know if you want to call it education, but it's definitely indoctrination of some sort, um, and, and we can see that in other people a little easier than we can see it in ourselves. For sure, yeah. You know, that I, I've had a lot of this year in particular, I've, I've moved into management. I've had a lot of training, diversity training and, and bias, comfort, you know, bias training. And it, it's really, really fascinating to try to find or see your blind spots. Well, you can't see them because they are blind spots. Right. So then you have other people in your life that you hope show up and are uh, kind but willing to identify your blind spots. Hey, Ken, did you know? Blah, blah, blah. I really, I really love surrounding myself with people who are willing to do that. that I, I actually do feel strongly attached or a, a deep kinship or friendship with anyone who would be willing to help me be a better person by doing the thing they're probably scared of. You know, that, that, being critical on somebody can be a very scary moment. Uh, and um, it doesn't have to be because you could still do it with the right intent. But a lot of stuff is just like um, a lack of knowledge, like the things you were ex talking about, and like the world's a complex place. We can't, so we have to trust experts. Yeah, we yeah. Can't, um, well, that's the problem, right? I, I don't remember how long ago this was, but years ago I was studying. Um, some details around politics, and at that time, so this is probably 10 years ago, but at that time, uh, China in their parliament had 50% engineers. And the question that I have is, how many engineers do we have in the U.S. Congress? And I don't think we have any. And we used to, years ago, uh, be able, we, we would commonly have expert groups that we would form in order to inform legislators. Mm -hmm. And now it, we don't. We, it's very common for them to make decisions without that, or, the, or worse, uh, they are being influenced by lobbyists as mm -hmm. opposed to yeah. a real expert panel. Mm -hmm. And so we, we come, you can see it in today's world, the last 10 years easy, the people we are choosing to lead us are popular as opposed to mm -hmm. um, well-versed in leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, those who are well-versed in leadership likely are not interested in politics because of the, the you're, you're going to expose your family to hell uh, in, in order it, by choosing into that right, right. Uh, which which is shame shameful it's sad it, it saddens me that we can't get it right um, and 
this whole idea of, of going off popular opinion is a horrible way to live, but I'm still here. Actually, I actually thought, had I not met my current wife, Sarah, I, I, I was ready to move. I think I was going to go to Europe or anywhere else just because hmm. things are weird here, but I'm still here. I'm hoping that we can learn. All right. Well, it's been good. It's been interesting, and I appreciate the conversation. I think we'll wrap up. Is there anything, um, any final thoughts or anything you want to, I'll just give you a chance to say anything you want to before we wrap up, if you'd like to, if there's anything else or. Hmm. No, this has been real interesting. I didn't know the direction we would take. Um, I know that when we're thinking about life and its, its, its directions, um, you know, I, I would just, um, uh, I, I don't know what else it is other than uh, the stitching together of experiences like, like we talked about and, and finding a tribe of people who are willing to take that venture with you mm-hmm. and finding, you know, uh, fellowship and, 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 yeah. um, and knowing that, you know, we're, we're being watched by our youth and that it matters how we show up and, it, and um, you know, there, there's room for, I guess, just yeah, I don't know what else to share, but it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the joys, the biggest joys in life has just been watching my kids show up well and seeing their happiness and, um, and knowing that hopefully they will pass that on to their kids too. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, great, a great conversation. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ken. Mm-hmm.